Happy Tuesday to everybody. We're back with episode 10. This week, Miriam is back with us as our guest co-host. And we have a conversation with Alin Roby, who's a good friend of mine, I've known for many years, who's an associate producer. And she tells us about what that entails and a few crazy stories from her time so far in the industry. Uh, first of all, we didn't get a chance to talk about this last week. We've touched on it a few times in previous episodes. But I want to say how happy I am that the Writers Guild and the AMPTP came to an agreement. So there was no writer's strike, which if you were here for the 07 strike, if you work in the industry, then you know how disastrous that was. Uh, So we're all happy to continue working. And I've actually started a new job right now on a new show. So I'm very excited about that. That should take me till just about the end of the year. So I hope you enjoy our 10th episode. If you get a chance, please rate and review us on iTunes because every rating and review is very helpful to getting this podcast out there. Uh, Even if you don't like it, give it one star and a skating review. Tell me what I need to do better if you feel you need to. As always, uh, you can reach us many different ways. On Twitter, we're at Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at Hollywood Backbone Podcast. And just send us an email if you like at hollywoodbackbone at gmail.com. Especially if you have any questions about anything we've discussed on a previous episode that uh, you'd like to clarify. Or if you have any future episodes that you'd like to see happen, we, we can definitely make that happen for you. All right, that's enough for me. I hope you enjoy episode 10 with associate producer Alain Roby. No, but then when I hear it, it's just like, ah, oh, that's the most annoying sound I've ever heard. <laughs> it's like, I can imagine somebody who's listening to the podcast in the first couple episodes going, why won't that guy shut up? <laughs> well, that's probably why when most people are doing it, or you're doing it in a radio, don't you mute your mic? I feel like, like radio hosts mute their mic. They, they, yeah, that sounds sure they do. See, I never think about stuff like that, which is why I'm happy to help you know, Eddie, doing these things because I learned so much. I don't, it's such a new um, area for me, new industry, or not new, but, you know, unfamiliar. Mm-hmm. How long have you been? Because um, So I helped Eddie out with three episodes of the podcast, and so it was fun. We all did it, and we knocked it out in one night. Yeah, we, we recorded three in one night. Oh. Yeah. It was very, <laughs> we were very behind, too. Yeah. <laughs> was it we three separate people, or was it just like a big one? You just cycled three, through them? Three, three separate, separate people, people back yeah. to back. Yeah. It was a little bit. <laughs> well done. Yeah, that was good. So you've done 10. Have you kind of covered all of the departments at this point? No, not all. I mean, it's just kind of all over the place at the mm-hmm. moment. Uh, some of that's based on, you know, who's available when. Mm-hmm. and But it also kind of gives it like a sort of an eclectic look at just all the different areas of the industry. Because, you know, we started off with Kevin and mm-hmm. for teleprompter operator. Yeah. Which I thought was a good one to start off with because I... I'd say most people, even who have kind of a passing knowledge of the industry, have no idea what that 
you know, that title means. No, well, it is a weird, it's a weird position because it doesn't truly exist in regular script, the scripted world. But yet I feel like if you went to film school, it existed when you were learning things. Like I remember taking classes and that was one of the things that we learned. But With teleprompting? Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah, like you kind of like have your home, basically you'd have your own little control room. And so teleprompting was one of the positions that like the class fed and like then you'd have you know, student, you'd essentially rotate and you'd have students being like the news anchors too. So you'd have to practice like what mm-hmm. camera was lit and where you focus, which was not yeah. for me. <laughs> was this, so was this more for, um, it was a, it was a broadcast, a, uh, journalism like education or I don't think that was a class. It was actually not one I took. I did a national exchange to a different school in, mm-hmm. in the United States. Um, so it wasn't one my original school hosted, but it wasn't journalism because I never, I never followed it. I think it was just a video production course, but that was like one of the many facets of it to kind of teach us to control room. Um, okay, we uh, we had a video production course like that too at, at USM, but it, it didn't it didn't get any, into anything that deep. I think we were mostly just working with like yeah. basic cameras and a mixer board, just trying okay. to edit little news mm-hmm. segments and stuff. Yeah, no, they had us kind of do. I mean, this is when you're like they were also teaching us analog editing, so <laughs> it, was, it, was, <laughs> it was a minute ago, but um. But yeah, it was essentially like a, what you would do like in a live tape setting, which I did like. I did like being the one being like, okay, camera one. <laughs> I did like being the controller. That was fun. <laughs> well, we've been talking for a little bit, but we're here with Alin Roby, and we're here back with Miriam Kojizada, who's joining us again. Glad to be back. <laughs> so Alin, currently you're an associate producer. I am. <laughs> so tell us a little bit what that position entails, because I feel like that, I think, as, is this, correct me if I'm wrong, but is associate producer one of those positions where there's not necessarily like a handbook for what uh, that position covers? That is very correct. <laughs> I would imagine like most um, office positions, it varies based off the needs of the show that you're on and the team that you're with and how you balance everybody out. So it's, you have associate producers in different worlds of um, our industry. I know that they call associate producers in reality, which may be doing very different jobs than what I'm doing in a scripted television. My job is probably more comparable to a production manager or production supervisor. It's just not the title that we use with um, my network. In that case, are there production supervisors and production managers working with you as well, or... I have a unit production manager that's also a um, producer. Oh, okay. So they kind of ride both lines. Um, They cover the DGA aspect of, you know, the requirement in the office, um, and then I support them. So I have my hands on a lot of the same things that they do, um, but I'm overseeing, obviously, and and it kind of gives me a nice taste of what's at the next step if I have any interest in doing that or if just staying where I am, which I'm totally fine with right now. Um, (laughs) But so it is, it's basically, it's a combination of what I was doing as a production coordinator with a little bit more um, involvement in the budgeting aspects of the show and um, the creative minimally, um, but definitely I have a much more open line of communication to each individual department. Whereas as a coordinator, you know, you pass information on or you facilitated whatever needs the stage needed to the outside world. As an associate producer, I'm delegating 
to all of these departments as well. So it's not just coming in, it's going out, which is nice. (laughs) It certainly teaches you a lot more. It gets you more familiar with what everybody is doing. Um, I have a better understanding of it than I think I ever did when I was a PA and a production coordinator. You're seeing you're seeing the bigger picture from a different side. So does it differ from even if you were with your same network from show to show or movie or whatever? Mm-hmm. For me, it is it's scripted television. Um, but I think what you're asking is, would my job be the same if I was yeah. someplace else? Yeah. Um, even with the same network, yeah. it would not exactly be the same because you would be balancing out the needs of your whoever was immediately above you mm-hmm. and your producing team, and so we all individually carry different strengths and different weaknesses. And I think that has, you know, some of that, some of our strengths and weaknesses gravitate us to specific positions to begin with. But even when we all, you know, everyone else in the office, we still have our own individual strengths and weaknesses. So depending upon how my producer is and how they like to work and what they want to do themselves or what they need help with or, or what they have time to do versus what they don't have time to do, it really dictates what, what I would focus on. So my job can change drastically with a different producer. Okay. So it, I guess it just depends mostly on the producer and how they want to want you to work and with delegate them. down. Yeah, okay. essentially. Absolutely. I mean, it, the root of everything is similar because the basic knowledge of what we do exists no matter where you are. It's just how that translates up translates up and translates down and what you do with it whether you're doing it mm-hmm. or they're doing it or your coordinator's doing it you know even with the exact same team if the show's different you might approach it differently or if you change one member of that team you need to find your balance again mm-hmm. by incorporating the new member so that may change how if my boss and I are the same but my coordinator changes that may change how we all do our jobs. The dynamic completely changes. Exactly. Or could change. Exactly. So, I mean, which is part of what I like about it because it's, it's a job that has, it has its set parameters, but it's not the same on any given day or on any given job. Like it's always, there's always going to be something different, no matter how many times it's been done before, it's still little new. Or, I mean, even when we've done it, you know, something will happen, some requests will happen with the show or we need to shoot a scene some way and that influences how we approach it this mm-hmm. time but yeah keeps everybody on their toes but that's part of what <laughs> I think a lot of people like about production is a little bit of organized chaos I mean it's never boring no it's definitely not that you know everyone has to be prepared to kind of change with the winds and and uh, I think that that is a very important quality to really succeed in this industry and to not just lose your marbles. <laughs> Otherwise, it gets really hard when you try and put everything into a cookie-cutter box because it never fits. So what was your... So now that you're an associate producer, what was your kind of path to that? Because you mentioned you were a production coordinator before. Was, was, is that kind of the natural path to an associate producer? Um, it is the natural path to an associate producer. It's not the only path to a line producer, which is the next step on my ladder. Um, people can go many ways. My path was not that linear in the beginning. Um, I did a lot of different things. I started as a PA. I got pretty lucky. I moved up quickly. I got into the industry thinking I was interested in an entirely different department. I thought I would like to pursue casting. 
I'd already worked in the office setting for several years before I had my first casting opportunity and quickly realized like it wasn't actually the right fit for me. And went was there back something to it. Speci- was there something specific to casting that it just you, that turned you off? Probably a variety of things. Some of it may have just been the team that I that I experienced with in the show because I I kind of walked into an established setting um, and found it difficult to adjust to it. But I think that the young the young Lynn's imagination of what that job was <laughs> was not the reality of what that really that job really entailed. And when you know fantasy met reality. It didn't work out, <laughs> but, yeah. but it was nice because I kind of feel like, especially in this industry, you you don't know, even if you've gone to film school, like you have a vague idea of mm-hmm. what it's supposed to be or what you think it is, and then you get in, and then you find out there's all these other jobs you didn't even know existed regardless, and then you find your footing, and it's fine to go through a couple of things, and being an office PA or a stage PA, PA is the great way to do that because it's... It's giving you the Cliff Notes version of everything around you to see what you'd be the most interested in. And so I just did it a little late because I'd already been in the industry for a minute. But, um, but yeah, you don't regret it because it was just, you know, mm-hmm. I got to check it off my so learning my list. <laughs> yeah, I, I learned. I have more respect for my casting team, who I think is amazing, and I don't know how they do it. <laughs> um, but I know that I do not want their jobs. It's all theirs. Yeah. Um, but I think I took a tangent from your original question and I don't think that there's any one way to get to any of the jobs in our industry. Everyone I've ever talked to and I've ever known has a different process or, and has taken a very different path. Some have gotten really lucky and just happened to bump into the right person at the right time. And it just was, was easy from A to B to C to D all the way through and other people, you know, they fought their way through it all for each new job, for each new experience. And so some took longer to get to their next step than other people. But the more, the more experiences you have, I think the stronger you become in each of those positions, because you have, like I was saying earlier, you, you have to adjust to the dynamic of the people around you. So the more, the more experiences you have adjusting, the more prepared you are for each new thing that comes your way especially as you as you grow um, within whatever path you choose. It just makes you more adaptable, which I think is one of the biggest strengths in any of our departments, regardless of your technical skill, if that's a, one of the positions you end up in, is you still need to adapt. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so no one right way, but I'm an associate producer is a pretty, or a production supervisor, whatever you, however you want to term it, um, it is pretty linear from office PA to production secretary or assistant production coordinator to production coordinator. Um, all of those steps exist in the office. Not all shows carry all of those um, all of those positions. Sometimes mm-hmm. a production secretary exists or an APOC, an assistant production coordinator. Other times you go straight from a PA to a production coordinator. But the overall skill set and what the purpose that they're serving for the greater collective is similar. Mm-hmm. And it's all on path to potentially decide if you want to be a line producer, producer, or if you, if you don't and you decide that you've ridden the funness of Hollywood and you want <laughs> off the train or that you want to move to a different, to a different side. You know, I have friends that want to be producers, but are traveling the AD route. So there are other mm-hmm. ways to get 
to the producer side of things if that's the ultimate goal. So when when did you actually start working in the industry? That was me, Eddie. <laughs> I started, I moved to L.A. in 2004 and got pretty lucky. This was back when Craigslist was like an okay way to get jobs. I um, Wait, When did you move in 2004? I moved here in May. Okay, so I was here August 2004, so not Yeah, I think we all like yeah, moved around the same time. time. Mm-hmm. Give or take. Even Jamie, I mean, we obviously didn't meet till years later, but yeah. he ended up here around the same time as well. So I was lucky enough to kind of, I got a job as an intern on a show. Through Craigslist. First, through Craigslist. We, I think we now all we, did. Yeah. <laughs> I keep hearing about Craigslist <laughs> being the spot. Exactly. <laughs> well, because you, you didn't have Facebook at that time. Um, and Craigslist was still fairly newer at that time, too. So I think that it was being utilized mm-hmm. as a resource more commonly, even from um, major major companies or major networks as opposed to you know student films or, or indies and stuff. I think a lot of other people were using them. But I got lucky. I showed up to my first job. One of the PAs didn't show, so they're like, you're hired. So it was like literally within two hours was on the show. And I can basically trace every single job back to that one job. That have gotten sense. Like That's I befriended amazing. a set PA that helped me get my next job and my next job, and everything <laughs> kind of spiraled from that. Um, I can't trace so, mine back that far. <laughs> isn't it funny? Yeah, yeah. No, I was, I was lucky. I mean, you you kind of start to get the jobs on your own, but it's like, well, I got it because I met this person. But the only reason I met this person was because I did this show, and mm-hmm. that person got me on that show, or however it goes. So, um, yeah, I was pretty lucky. Um, and I was able to, I never, not that I didn't have downtime and in my first five or six years, I dabbled a lot. Like I was all over the place. I was doing television. I was doing indies. I was doing, um, big budget features. I was doing comedy where my position kind of straddles and live um, television where the position kind of straddles the line of office and like the carpet or the stage, which was probably my most favorite time like I kind of enjoyed having my hands on in both pots um but yeah but then you talk to everybody else and everyone has such a different story so seems like everyone has a unique path to where they are now (laughs) exactly like there's no right way like I think you just need to be open to all possibilities and put yourself out there and know that like especially in the beginning if you can afford to you know, take the smaller jobs or the jobs that don't pay enough money because they might not lead anywhere, but they might lead somewhere, and you're never going to know, um, and you never know who you're going to meet in, you know, along the way. So I think if if you have the time and you're available and you're fortunate, you just, yeah, you just do whatever you can, especially in the beginning when you're just trying to get out there because our industry, unlike any other industry, is all about networking, especially in the beginning because... To a point, most skills can be taught. You know, your ability to communicate and interact with people is, you know, you can't really teach that in the same way or that, like, eagerness to just jump in mm-hmm. and go with it. I think that's why my I, my nephew is a PA in Louisiana right now. I think he's doing so well. It's because he's a very he's a very good people person. I am not, so I'm not. That's not true. That's not true. It it also helps with where you decide you want to be. Like, there are certain departments where being a people to person isn't 
it's not necessary. But if you didn't start off knowing that that was the path that you wanted and just studying, you know, all the technical specs of, you know, being a camera operator or a video controller where it is, it is a lot more about what you know than your interaction with people along the way is sort of necessary. Because even if, you know, like my side of things and I think the assistant director side of things, it is a bit more about like how you interact with people and, and, and what you do to get, you know, get what you need. But on all the other departments, you need to learn a skill, but you need someone to be willing to teach you. So you still, you know, like, unless you just happen to walk in gifted or knowing exactly what you want, you're still kind of searching for it. Well, you still, you still need to get people to want to help you. Right. What kind of, um, so right now you're on a scripted television show. Do you like that kind of format or is there, do you like, did you like the indie films better? You know, I've liked it all. I've been doing what I'm doing now for quite some time. So there is certainly a comfortability that develops in like the machine that you know, where I, I probably was not, but like I view younger me as slightly fearless. Like I was always changing. And so I was prepared to do anything and to jump in wholeheartedly. And I was like, sure, I got this. (laughs) Now I would be a little bit more cautious to like step out of what I know because it's been so long. It's not quite as familiar. I, I have gotten sort of, um, comfortable in my setting, but I liked it all because there's something to be learned from everything. Yeah. Um, you know, even within television, you know, we now we have new media. You have one hours, you have half hours, you have multi cam, you have single cam, and all of them are very different from each other. So, yeah. um, but I don't really have a favorite now. Okay, I like that I have a little bit more of a life on a multicam show as opposed to a single cam show. Like I get to sleep a little bit more often or have some hours after, you know, single camera. I really love too, but my hours in a day were so long that you get a lot of gratification from what you put into it. Like, you know, that you like put your blood, sweat and tears into it. And you're like, I was part of this. And there's a lot of camaraderie because you're all sort of in, in that boat together. Um, but it is exhausting. <laughs> um, and I don't know that at this point in my life I have the stamina for the that environment. Yeah. But it was nice when I was doing it, and I'm pretty happy where I'm at right now. Now, I know you're from Hawaii. Is that where you went to film school? or did? Oh, um, it's not where I went to film school. Oh, okay. um, Hawaii, I went to the University of Hawaii at Manoa, and when I was going there, it did not have a film school. It now does. Um, they had a communications, like, I was a communications major, and they had, like, a video production um, emphasis that you could do. Is that, That's what you were talking about at the beginning? Was the, that the, oh, the, the video courses. production? The courses you were yes, talking about? Yes, oh, actually, okay. not at um, Manoa, though. I took my senior year of college, I took a national exchange to a school in Boston. Oh, okay. That school had a film program. So I did end up with an emphasis from UH in film production, but everything I studied was actually in Boston with their film classes. Nothing, I didn't actually study anything film-based in, other than um, <laughs> like theory right. at the University of Hawaii. Um, yeah, not, not <laughs> for the industry at all. I liked my communications classes too. Like I didn't really know where... You know, my future was going to take me. 
I didn't move right to LA after college. I was a teacher for a few minutes. Um, what did you teach? When? What subject what? did you teach? I was teaching at a small private school, so the kids stayed in their same class for their their um, core classes, like math, history, um, English, and science, and then they just uh, rotated classes for their electives. Um, and what we would do is we'd kind of divide the class in half so that you could get more one and one attention to each kid. So I taught a little bit of all of them. I taught um, my class was mixed from sixth to eighth grade, which That's some people would tough. seem was very challenging. <laughs> it was challenging, but I actually I can't say what I called them on, on this radio. But, um, but I, I really enjoyed it because it's it's a really interesting age to watch because you see you see them becoming themselves. So they're learning how to push back, and you're like oh, yeah. they're they're making opinions, but they haven't quite learned where to stop pushing. But from a from a safe distance, it was it was kind of amazing to watch. I, I really enjoyed my time. I, I didn't really want to be a teacher. It just kind of fell in my lap and was a great opportunity while it happened. Um, but I have very fond memories of it. <laughs> it was it was fun. So after that, what uh, so what caused you to leave teaching and want to move to Los Angeles? Was that was that the next thing? Was I think it was always sort of the goal. Partly just stubbornness. Um, I you know somewhere. Somewhere along the lines, I got into my head that I wanted to do production and so that I needed to be in L.A. to do that. And um, So this wasn't like right. a lifelong childhood dream of yours? Not really. I, I always knew I liked it. I did a little bit of like, I took a lot of acting classes and stuff when I was younger and I never really wanted to be an actress, but I... I enjoyed the environment. I enjoyed the people that I was in meeting. I liked the acting for, like, the cathartic release of it all a little bit. Like, that part was fun. Like, I felt like it got a lot of, like, random emotions out of my body. Then you could just kind of, like, toss it into this fictitious character that wasn't you. And then I could interact with all these people I wouldn't normally meet. And and in Hawaii, especially at the time, and I think in a lot of places, to, to be seen in the community, you're doing your own productions. Mm-hmm. So I was volunteering to help any of the actors that I was meeting. Like, oh, I'll, I'll help you with that. I'll help you with this. Like, I don't want to act in it, but I'll do this, this, and this. Um, so that's kind of where I realized that I was interested. Like, I knew I wanted to be involved. I just didn't know how I wanted mm-hmm. to be involved and, and what that really meant and where I would find myself. Um, and then I think stubbornness kind of propelled me the rest of the way I was saying out loud to so many people for so long that I was going to go and do it that um by the time I got the chance to move I was probably completely content in Hawaii and I didn't really <laughs> leave anymore but I was like well I've been saying I'm going to do it so um, I'm just going to do it and I moved with I had a transitionary period so I moved with a friend who got into law school in San Diego I spent the nine or ten months with her in San Diego to help her get her footing, me get my footing. Hawaii is, you know, it's daunting for anyone to move. Mm -hmm. Hawaii has a pretty, um, well, I don't think it's strictly Hawaii. I think it's daunting for anyone to move. So it it was hard to, hard to leave. And I, it was nice to have somebody to do that with and kind of have a feeling of home that carried with me. And, and then after that 10 months, she transferred back to Hawaii, and I moved to L.A. Um, and it, 
like I said, like I pretty much once I got to LA, kind of hit the ground running, and it worked mm-hmm. for me, and I didn't really stop for quite some time. But yeah, it all kind of initiated out of stubbornness and out of this friend's need to not move her by herself. And I was like, all right, I'll go with you. <laughs> sure, I can do that. <laughs> Why not? No problem at all. And then I got here quickly, and I met a lot of wonderful people, Eddie being one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and kind of found my new core group of friends, which I think is also really important when you get oh, into this absolutely. crazy, scary industry to, like, find people that still ground you and that you feel comfortable with. And you're like, okay. Your support like, system. Yeah, your yeah. support system. You've got, like, your own traveling family now. Mm-hmm. And everyone... You know, I think at that time, we all ended up in different directions. We were all sort of, like, in the industry in some way or another, but we weren't, not, not very many of us were on the same paths. Um, we all kind of worked I, together at certain times, too, because we were all exactly. kind of jumping on to whatever, whatever was hiring. <laughs> exactly. So, like, we overlapped a lot, and I think, especially in the beginning, we all helped each other a lot because, yeah. you know, if, if somebody was on a project and they're like, well, we need another PA, are you available? Do you want to come over? Or I need this, or I need that, or do you know anyone? Um which certainly helps perpetuate right. you forward, and it provides you more security even within those shows. Because you're like, oh, well, at least I have someone I know that has my back. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously it worked out. We're also friends. <laughs> 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 which is very nice. Because yeah. it does. It, it makes you feel like you've just created your own little new family network. Um, it is always fun to meet somebody who doesn't work in the industry at all too out here isn't We're it amazing for one. <laughs> yeah, yeah right here yeah <laughs> most of the friends i've got out here are work in the industry like i i feel like i don't know that many people that aren't don't have industry jobs so whenever i we have like a get together or something and i meet somebody who doesn't work in the industry it's like oh what do you do yeah. i know Please tell just me like you like gravitate towards them and you're like just tell me all about what the real world's like <laughs> well it seems to me as someone who's not in the industry that um it's not just a job. You kind of live and breathe the work to a certain degree. I mean, it seems like, because when I, what I do, you know, I work and then I come home and I can sort of separate it. Yeah, I may check emails or yeah, I may have evening mm. activities or events or travel on occasion, but for the most part, it's in the office um, or that on campus. That sounds lovely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's on campus. I, I work at a university and um, so I can sort of separate, but I think... From what I've experienced and learned through, um, you know, doing the, these podcast episodes with Eddie, um, it's not it's not just you know it's a job that pays the bills. It's something that you, people are really into, and you know they work on projects, and you know they it's not just a nine to five or office gig. It's it's a career. It's big. It's, it's your life. It yeah. really is. Which is why it's so fascinating to meet somebody outside of it because. Our hours are so long mm-hmm. that doesn't really leave a lot of time to meet people that aren't also involved. Right. But I also find, especially when we were younger at least, that it led to a lot of like wonderfully short friendships. Like, because you were in the thick of it and you're best friends, and then you all get other jobs and you can't see each other anymore right. and you can't hang out. But but there were still all great experiences, and I met a lot of amazing, wonderful people, and, and some of us are still in contact, and some of us are not. But, like, that's how you grow, I think, and right. how you meet everyone. But, yeah, the job, it is so amazing when you meet people that, that kind of have a different perspective because it is not 9 to 5. You're right. And, mm. you know, we're physically on set or on location or in the office from 
12 to 16 hours a day fairly regularly. And, um, and when we're not there, at least in like some of the positions have a little less of this, but like in my position, I am attached to my phone. And in this wonderful day and age of uh, technology (laughs) with our smartphones, it's like just, it's more of a leash because everyone knows you're seeing these texts and you're seeing these emails. So it doesn't matter that you're on your time. And so why didn't you respond to it? I want to get like, I know you got it. (laughs) I know you saw it, you know, and sometimes you can even tell that they're looking at it when it's like a text or something, if you're looking at it at the right moment. So it does, it keeps you really, um, really tethered to everything that's going on, which is like, I mean, it's a good and a bad thing, but obviously we stick with it. So, uh, I certainly don't mind it that much, Yeah, <laughs> but it's fascinating to see and hear about like, I, like I think I referenced it earlier. Like I call it the real world. Like I feel like we're all just playing make believe <laughs> and like we work hard and we do all this stuff, but it still feels like the the little kid dream, just doing it as an adult. So yeah. I don't always like think of it as a real job. I mean, it's totally real. Oh yeah. <laughs> so well, I'm that, like, oh, you've got a real job. Got it. Well, <laughs> then there's like, so many gaps in between some of the stuff that we do. It doesn't. It never feels permanent, and it never feels stable. It's true. <laughs> well, Which is also good and bad, right? Because we feel yeah. like. There's the fear of the inconsistency, but then if you yeah. don't like your job, it's a lot easier to get out, so you know it's going to end, so yeah. you know, it'll start See, again. I don't think I could, and you know, so I'm in nonprofit fundraising, I'm in higher education fundraising, and you know, it's fairly common, of, you know, once a fundraising campaign wraps up, that you get recruited somewhere else, you relocate, mm-hmm. but that's years in the making. Mm-hmm. It's not like every few months you'd switch out, you know, you'd work on a on a show or a movie and then go on to the next thing and not knowing what that next thing is or being assured of it is terrifying to someone <laughs> like me <laughs> so it was terrifying it early terrifying. on especially because I, I i don't know if you felt the same way too it was just i especially in that first couple of years i knew so few people in the industry it was like I just finished this short film that lasted for four days. What am I going to do next? <laughs> it's like, well, how am I going to pay rent this month? No, yeah. Well, and I don't think that fear, I think everybody has that fear. It's just mm-hmm. some people are exhilarated and propelled forward by it, and some people can't do it, which isn't a right or a wrong thing. It's like, it's just, just how your personality is. Yeah. And there are ways, you know, there are. Like, I don't think I knew this when I was younger, but as I've gotten older and met more people, like, there are ways to facilitate that creative drive in a more nine-to-five setting. Like, you can work on the corporate side of things. You can work specifically for a production company, um, and your hours aren't necessarily mandated by the show times. It's just mandated by the office needs. So there are more secure options. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, I don't know what I would do. Well, Eddie's a father, so he's got plenty to do with his other <laughs> sides, and he's got a ton of amazing hobbies. But like, when I'm not working and I'm home at 6 o'clock, I'm literally like, I don't know what to do yeah, with like, myself. Like, I, I can't do? watch five hours of TV before bed, so what do I do? Like, I don't, I don't know. So although it's tiring, for me it's perfect because if I'm not working, yeah. I'm not motivated to do anything yeah. else. <laughs> keep busy. I get pretty stagnant. So yes, it's it's the best way to keep me going and I think my personality 
functions the best with multiple things happening. So the busier I am, the more I get done, the more I do. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, oh, I've got all this time to do things with, and then I do nothing with it. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of miss that time. <laughs> <laughs> you never did nothing with your time. I, I used to sleep in on Saturdays. That's fair. <laughs> I don't think I'd see that in your future for a while. No. Sorry, buddy. Uh, well, she'll, go, she'll go off to college at some point. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Countdown has begun. I'm marking off days. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, we'll have to listen to this and be like, well, Dad, were you in a rush or what? <laughs> oh, this technology will be crazy by then. She'll be listening to it in her forehead or something. It's yeah. true. Something oh, my goodness. Playing. That's so frightening. <laughs> it is just really frightening how how crazy things are. I was just talking to a friend about Alexa, which I don't have. Do you guys have it? No. I don't know. Is, is it the Amazon thing? It's yeah, where you like, talk to it and you can have it like, linked into your lights and stuff. And I'm like, there is this... like. It's amazing how convenient technology is, uh-huh. and I'm not like a conspiracy person at all, but there does seem to be a line to me where I'm like, how How far do we go? <laughs> because like, yeah. if I'm not even standing up to turn on my lights anymore, like, why am I getting out of bed? Like, yeah. if I could do everything, <laughs> like, what is our future life? Yeah. We'll, we'll all become it makes the, me, uh, it does make me a little freaked out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, you watch those, cra- <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, the people in their little like hover chairs or whatever yeah. it was Bones and I'm like it does sort of make me wonder like as obnoxious and silly as like those sci-fi predictions are it's like is it really that off the mark <laughs> where are we going I'll just stick with my like older version of an iPhone and call it a day yeah. well, that's just something we've kind of covered in previous episodes with especially with people who've been in the industry for you know like 30 years or more is how the just technology in general sort of adapts with run back and forth with how things work. It's like obviously before cell phones, it was done one way, but now that cell phones, everybody has a cell phone, it's done this other way. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's almost like it's sometimes it's just like how on earth did anything get accomplished before yes. certain things were around? But you know, but they did, and you know they made amazing things. But a lot of paperwork to yeah. fill out, and a lot of filing, and a lot of researching to pull it all out. I don't. <laughs> if you remember but i mean even when we started which doesn't feel like that long ago like pdfing didn't really exist Mm -mm. i was still using typewriters to like type into insurance certificates and things like that like i I mean it wasn't that long ago that i was using a typewriter to get these things accomplished (laughs) um or you'd be making multiple copies of things so that it would be going in every direction as opposed to just like Throwing it up on Google Docs and letting everyone have it. <laughs> yeah, um, I remember the uh, having a big copy of uh, what was the map called? Uh, oh, uh, Jefferson? No, Thomas Guide. Thomas, Thomas Guide. Guide. We all had Thomas Guides oh, yeah. at, at, at early on. Passenger door. Yeah, but where you look it up on, you'd figure it out online. And then you'd write all the directions out. Yeah, and like MapQuest. It wasn't yeah. Google Maps. It was MapQuest at the time. And then while you were out, you'd get one more run, and it would throw your whole yes. plan off. Yeah. You're like, I don't know how to do this. You'd call, you'd call the production office and be like, I am lost. I need oh, somebody to do it. All the time. And I would be like on the verge of tears because I have no concept of direction. Yeah. I'm from an island. Like north, south, east, and west does not exist. Yeah. And when, when you're like really flustered, and they're like, well, head to the ocean, head west. And I'm like, well, I grew up with it being east. So that does not help my flustered brain, but thank you very much for that tidbit. One time I had to deliver a script to, um, uh, what was the singer's name? Who did? I'm blanking her. Vanessa Williams. I had to deliver a script to her house. And she had some house up in the Hollywood Hills somewhere where 
the map I had printed out didn't have the directions on it because this was way before. This, this must have been a MapQuest map that somebody put out and put where her house was. But every area around her house were just like these sort of one block areas. So it would be like two houses made up one block or like uh, one house made up one block. So it's all these little patches of roads on this map. And it's like, you know, I think I was supposed to deliver it by like midnight and it was now like one. And I'm just like, I had my cell phones on calling the office going, I have no idea where I am. I can't follow this map. I don't know what to do. And finally, you know, I found her house like a few minutes later, but an hour of being lost in the Hollywood Hills, oh just God. not knowing what it's to do. horrible. <laughs> and then it's 1am, so you're not exactly like... At the top of your game, anyways. I did um, one one of my jobs early on was uh, I was in a post PA on a pilot, so it was only for like three or four weeks. But that's what we would do because you weren't delivering things via Hightail or however else you're doing it. Now you were hand delivering the dailies to you know all these big um, uh, all of the uh, top people at these networks, and so you're up in the Hollywood Hills and all of these hard to follow very unmarked yeah. houses and you're doing it at three or four in the morning yeah. and then you're like pacing up like I think this is it but I don't see a number I think this is it like <laughs> is this the place and it's like you're just waiting for someone to like call the cops on you as right. they see some weirdo like pacing yeah. in front of like this mansion in the middle of the Gates. night <laughs> yeah. like I don't know what to do it's too late to call anyone do we just leave it here and hope I'm right I don't I don't know I had a lot of those experiences as well now I just in the morning I put because I'm working at Fox, I put in the address, and it tells me it's going to take you 30 minutes to get there this way, and I'll start going that way, and then it'll say you can save five minutes by going this way. I'm like, well, let's go that way. This is like <laughs> it's so it's such yeah. a difference between now and you know 2004 and being lost all over the city, <laughs> having all these options. You know? <laughs> I mean, there was one way to get there, not ten ways to get there. <laughs> but it certainly helps you learn the area. I mean, that's oh, like yeah. the one thing. I'm, I I mean, I feel like within my first year here... I was just going to say, so you probably know the ins and outs of the Hollywood Hills and L.A. because uh, of that kind of work. I think I've forgotten some at this point, but at that time, I like down to like be in this lane by this point so I can take this left and not have to fight traffic because it builds up. Or like uh-huh. you get like, or oh, it dead ends here, so you got to like, you definitely knew it at the time. Wow. Which was helpful. Even <laughs> while I was, like, crying through frustration. It's like, all right. <laughs> I learned something. I got it. <laughs> what, early on, what was one of the... Do you, do you remember any, like, really crazy experiences from any of those early early uh, independent productions <laughs> as you're trying to learn, like, the industry? You know, I think I've blocked some of the more interesting <laughs> ones out. Like, I think we've all experienced... Like, both just the wacky crazy and the, mm-hmm. like, how can the person do that crazy um, to various extents. I think my most entertaining or what everybody else thought was the most entertaining is I did this one show um, and or this one movie, rather, and um, I was driving an actor to and from her home every day. And it, it was she was an older but known actress at the time. And she was definitely a little kooky, but entertaining. And uh, you just kind of, like, tried to cater to the, the silly mm-hmm. kooky without, like, getting completely wrapped up into it. And one night, I, like, help her in, and I'm, we must have stopped at the grocery store. So I'm, like, unpacking some things into her fridge, or she's asked me to. I don't, I don't know how it all played out. But, you know, she comes up behind me, and she's like, oh, give me a hug. Thank you so much for all your work. And I turn around, and she's butt-ass naked. <laughs> Hugging me. And I was like, oh my goodness. I don't know how 
to deal with this. Oh my! And I mean, it wasn't like she wasn't hitting on me. There was no like yeah. weird inappropriateness in that just way. She did. She's things. just kooky, and so she was like, "I'm in my house. I'm gonna be comfortable. Like, I don't need to be clothed. Like, I'm comfortable. You should be comfortable. Clothes like, are it's fine. Like, it doesn't need to be." But I'm like, as I'm like stocking yogurt or whatever in her fridge and turning into it, I'm like, "What? No, it just happens." <laughs> and so I get into my car, and you know, I'm also like, "Well, I mean, maybe 24, but I was still new enough that I I wasn't really prepared for that kind of cookiness." And I, said, I don't I don't know how to process this. Uh, so you get in the car, and I call my production office to tell my friend whom I met on my first job. Actually, mm-hmm. this was one of the ones I went and got from her, my production coordinator. What happened? They all thought it was the best thing they ever heard. <laughs> of course. <laughs> By the time I got back, everybody knew. <laughs> and, and I still encountered some of like my crew members from that like from that show, and they're like, "Hey, Elaine, <laughs> what's going on?" Like, okay, that was one of my like funnier, like crazy, crazy experiences. Yeah. Certainly entertaining. I'm like, oh, I can always have my I remember when moment now. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> I know who you're talking about too because I worked with her as well. She, she was cookie. She never got naked at I did so. remember that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she, she was a very kooky individual. But Harmless and actually sweet, but kooky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> kind of exactly what you might expect, actually, being a young person moving to Hollywood. Like, yeah. like, in retrospect, I was like, why did I? Why was I surprised by that? <laughs> Maybe I should have thought I was like the normal thing. This is how people say hi. In those yeah, things. right. It's like, come on, no big deal. <laughs> well, you talked. You mentioned earlier about how. Uh, Line producing would be kind of the next step from associate producing. Is that is that what you think you'd be getting? In, you'd want to get into next, or um, I don't think for myself it is an interest. I, I mean, it, it's similar, and maybe in other settings, um, I don't have the same drive. I I would describe myself more as a worker bee, and they take on so much pressure because at the end of the day, it's their responsibility and. I'm perfectly happy to do everything they're doing, but I don't want to be the one waiting for it if it goes wrong. Um, and because as much as I like it, like that was never, I didn't ever have that as my end goal. The people that I work with are very encouraging of me taking that next step and have been for some time. I'm eligible to join the DGA. I have been for a few years, but. What sort of eligibility do you need to have to take so that step? So you need to. Well, it's, it's different for a lot of, like, locals or guilds, but in my position, you need to have X amount of work under a given title mm-hmm. um, to be eligible, and then you, you submit a very thorough book that basically proves that that you were doing shows. So I think it breaks down to roughly, like, 54 episodes of something under the associate producer title, um, and then I would have to submit call sheets and PRs and check stubs and, and very detailed um, pieces of paperwork for them to verify that I truly was on it for that period of time. And and then they go through and decide. And my understanding is then it goes through a board and they approve it and or they don't approve it and you go to your next step or they tell you that some of the things in your book aren't accurate. So I could do that now and I'm not obligated to join. Like it's just getting your ducks in a row for the moment you want to, since it's such a big process Mm -hmm. or you can wait until the moment you want to do it. Um, so that's what it would entail for me. It's not, it's, 
minimal effort on my part. I don't have any good reason why I haven't done it yet, other than I don't necessarily intend to make that step. So I just, what's the point? But probably the point is just in case I change my mind, <laughs> which is what my bosses would say on a regular basis because they've been bugging me for like three years. But, but it's nice to know that you have that support, whether it's yeah. what you want or not, or what you intend to do, that they believe in you. And, right. and um, you know. I mean, it's, it's similar, but it is different, and I'm not sure that I ultimately have the personality that can shoulder the burden of that stress as gracefully as some of the people that I've worked with. Mm-hmm. I, I don't mind the tasks, and I and I like having as much of the interaction with all the departments and doing everything as much as possible, but it's certainly nice to come home and know at the end of the day somebody else it's is not also looking. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I still, there's still repercussions if I mess up, <laughs> but, yeah. but yes, that somebody shoulder, like helping you shoulder the burden or, um, it's not all on you that somebody else is looking out over what you're doing and they're paying attention to, because once you get to a certain level, there really isn't anyone else paying attention until mm-hmm. it's like bigger than it needs to be. Right. Um, so, so yeah, I think I'm pretty happy with where I'm at right now. You are in the, you're in the producers guild. I am in the producers okay. guild. What is the, that, or what did that entail in order to join from your position? I don't completely understand the differences. Whereas, like the WGA and the DGA are obviously um, guilds that really facilitate the progress of their um, of their members, and they help dictate their wage minimums and, and make sure that they're getting their. Um, health insurance and various things like all the locals do for the various departments. The PGA doesn't really have that um, involvement. And I'm also probably not using it to its utmost abilities. So part of that is just on me being a naive member. (laughs) But, um, but, they provide you more access to things. They provide a lot of seminars. So Mm -hmm. I can choose, you know, like I can kind of, take more from it if I want or take less from it if I want. Like, I get screeners. I get to view things for, for the awards. Um, there's a Producers Guild Award that you get to vote in. Um, I get these seminars for free or at very little cost, and they stem from how to get funding for, for um, like, indie features to um, learning cameras just so you have a better understanding of how to manage your departments, you know, more thoroughly or the laws of dealing with minors on set or, you know, they kind of cover the gamut just Mm -hmm. with whatever comes up at any given time. And they post that and you've got one, um, you have a West coast guild and an East coast guild. So it's happening in both worlds. And also there's, um, so my position as an associate producer is not unionized. Mm -hmm. You are in the union, the steps below an associate producer mm-hmm. and the step above it falls under the director's guild but my position is not unionized so it is your employer's choice so the producers guild essentially has something set up that would allow an employer to go through them to provide you with health insurance mm-hmm. um, but it's the employer's choice so my employer doesn't do that, um, but others do. So it's another. It's a. It's one of the many driving reasons that people also want to join because it will help them get their insurance, which is obviously very important to people. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
which is one of the many reasons I joined. And you can join at different levels. So you can join as a, as a production coordinator. Um, you can join as an associate producer. You can, you can join as a production manager or, or just a, a regular producer, but then you've got producers of special effects. You've got post producers. You've, you've got multimedia producers. So there's, there's varying levels of people, and they all have their own councils, and I won't even attempt to go into that because <laughs> I have never been an involved member enough to know what they're doing on their end. But um, it allows for, uh, I'm sure, a pretty interesting collective of people and minds getting together on a variety of... Um, focusing on a variety of aspects of the production process mm -hmm. from start to finish. Well, there, there was actually one uh, question I was going to ask you too about since, since you've you've both worked uh, on productions with you know just adults and you've worked on productions with just children. Mm -hmm. Is it is one? Do you find one easier than the other? Is it is, is there many are there many big differences between them that make one more difficult or easy? Mm -hmm. or? Surprisingly not. I mean, again, the environment always changes based off of the people that you're in and the, and the concept of the shows. But I would expect that most people are like, oh, you're like, it's a little kid show or you're doing this or you're doing that. And it's like, oh, that can't be that hard because you have all these limitations. And the reality is having all those limitations makes it difficult because you still have to produce a product that rivals everything else going on within those limitations. Like maybe your budget isn't as big or you, you know, your lead is 16 years old, so you can only work them for nine and a half hours of the day or nine hours of the day and the rest you have to figure out and you don't really have that many adult characters. So how do you, how do you accomplish that? Um, so it, it presents a lot of challenges, um, which personally I like, like that's, I think what draws me to this industry or, or um, the production side of things is that I like to be in a position where I have to think outside the box to solve a problem. Um, not just solve it, but have to get creative with it. Um, on some of the more adult-based content things that I've done, they're equally challenging just for different ways. Like you're dealing with different personalities that you're not necessarily dealing with when you're dealing with minors. Um, I think networks tend to have more involvement on a lot of those shows that I find on um, on my show. So you've got you just increase the amount of opinions that are influencing your day to day mm -hmm. life and and your day to day process. Um, your hours can be just as long because at the end of the day, I mean, we require turnaround time, and the union set up all of these rules to protect everyone working on it, but. The reality is they're adults, so you can get away with a lot more as long as you're providing turnarounds and you're paying for this or you're paying for that. It's never the goal of anyone to to put yourself into meal penalties or to put yourself into forced calls, but it unfortunately allows for a little bit more flexibility, which, you know, makes for longer days and, and harder days. And, and you juggle more. Like, you don't really find a lot of... Um, B units with a children's television show because the storyline is, is a bit more straightforward or you're able to accomplish it or with what I do it's multicam so you're able to accomplish what your needs within the course of a week whereas a lot of adult content requires more time and so you also have like you often have you know your main stuff going on stage here and then you're picking up ancillary things in a B unit and 
And all of that is still getting filtered ultimately at the same place. So you're juggling so many more pieces than you already are. Mm-hmm. Which, even thinking about, sounds exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> well, if uh, anyone who's listening that is interested in working in the industry, is there any final advice you would give them if, if they wanted to start out coming out of film school, moving to L.A.? Or New um, Orleans or New York or Georgia. <laughs> or wherever Michigan. you're from. <laughs> um, kind of what I was saying in the beginning unintentionally, I think that if if you really want to give it a chance, you, you just have to be prepared for every possible outcome and know that any one situation can be different the next time. So don't get discouraged that easily. Don't be put off too quickly if you really think it's what you want. Now, if it, if you learn that it's not what you want, that's a whole other story. But there's a fit for everyone someplace. So you just keep trying. Know that there is no right path. Don't compare yourself to the person you met that's standing next to you on the stage because they traveled their own path and that might have been easier or harder than what you're dealing with. But... But every single person got there, and they all got there a different way. So just keep to it and be as open and as chatty as you can with people because especially at the beginning, like, I've been on shows where I've needed to have 10 to 20 PAs, and and sometimes I've hired somebody purely because I met them at a party and liked them and Mm -hmm. thought that they they were nice and they were... They were president and, or present, and, and they weren't president. If they were president, the president. We all were <laughs> and that they were eager. And I was like, "This is somebody I want to be around when I'm working an 18-hour day." So, like, I'm going to hire them. And and you might not think coming out of high school or college that that's how you get hired, but in this industry, it is one of the many driving forces that get you there. So, just just know that you can find work anyway and to always be present and to just keep trying and watch out for naked actresses yeah, yes for naked. be careful for naked actresses or actors or, or anything else and never never cross a line to take it to a more serious way like never cross a line that you're not comfortable with because we yeah. all have different things going on but it's never going to be your only opportunity there will always be another one so if it's not the right fit for you like I was told early on in this industry that you've never made it until you've been fired once and you've quit once, at least. Um, And I think it's true, and I think we're all programmed to not want to be fired and to to feel like you should not quit, that you have to endure. You don't want to fail, right? Exactly. And here it's not... doesn't mean you've failed. It's just you haven't found the right fit in it. Yeah. It's... It's acceptable in this industry. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there are ways that you can do it more gracefully than others, but <laughs> but don't be afraid to walk away from a bad situation. That is excellent advice, not just for your industry, but for life in general. It's true. Yeah. It's true. I've quit once, but I haven't been fired. <laughs> <laughs> Get on that, Eddie. All right, you All haven't right. succeeded yet. Keep well, trying. I'm back to work on Monday, so I'll well, Lynn, thank you so much for coming in and being a guest yeah. today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. <laughs> As I throw well, things at you, sorry. Quickly throwing garbage all over your house. <laughs> and thank you for having us over to record here since my daughter is asleep right now. <laughs> no problem. It's nice and easy. <laughs> Oh, my God.